What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Verzi Effect podcast. My name is Paul Verzi, and today is Wednesday, April 15th, 2015, and you guys are listening to episode 205, part two. Um, I told you guys in part one that I had a very special guest um, on the show. I am here um, in his beautiful apartment here uh, overlooking New York City, um, and uh, this guy was somebody that I always saw. And uh, people that know him are going to laugh. Uh, the, the ongoing joke with him is, who the fuck is that guy? Who is that guy? Um, he's somebody with an unbelievable, unbelievable hit comedy history. Um, I'm in his home, and it is like, honestly, a stand-up comedy museum with these pictures and everybody. Uh, but he's also a great dude and somebody that I've become friends with over time. And I'm really looking forward to, to talking to him about um, comedy. And I know you guys are going to be fascinated with some of the stories and what he's done. Because everybody in comedy says, if you don't know him, you're not in comedy. So I'm glad I'm glad to know him, and I'm glad he's on the Verzi Effect. Welcome, Mr. Jeffrey Gurian, who is a... Uh, everybody knows you, man, and I'm happy to be doing this. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be on with you, Paul. Really, seriously. Uh I love what you do, and it's great. It's this is going to be so fun. Yes. And now that we got the mic working. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we were sitting here, and he's got we got this unbelievable, just unbelievably powerful microphone, and I couldn't we couldn't get it working. It wasn't you know, but it picks everything up. But we don't have to go back and forth with the uh, with the other mic. So, um, but what I wanted to talk to you about was, and here's how I met Jeffrey. Um, I you know, very fortunate and had the honor and pleasure to open for Bill Burr at many big venues. Yes, and I've uh, seen that. Carnegie yes, Hall yes. was mm-hmm. one of them, which was one of the biggest nights of my life. It actually happened on my, I don't know, if, I, we never talked about this. That Carnegie Hall night was my 33rd birthday, and it was the first time my father has ever seen me perform, and he was in the crowd. Wow. The last time, wow. I, the last time my father saw me, that was with me in a show, mm-hmm. he took me to Radio City to see Rodney, and we were both in the balcony, and then the next time we were in the same room, he was in the balcony, and I was on stage at Carnegie Hall. <laughs> How amazing is that? Yeah. Right? But I would see you, and Jeffrey, and this is the thing about Jeffrey. Jeffrey has a very distinct look. Uh, the hair is up. You have that rocker. You kind of have that. You get that, right? Oh, people think I'm in the music business. My own parents think I'm in the music business. <laughs> they have no idea. No one knows what it is that I do. No, you you have you have this look. The hair is up. The glasses, and you're just you're looking, and you're like, who is that guy? What does that guy do? And I got to be honest, I was afraid of you. I was always afraid of you, because I knew there was some sort of writing. I knew that there was some sort of reviews, and we had never spoken. And one time, after seeing you out, and I'd be like, man, I don't know if that guy is going to give me a good review. I know I did well, but he doesn't know me. I don't know if he likes me. And then one time, like the sweetheart that you are, you came up to me at the stand or one of the clubs, and you saw me perform, and you were like, you know, great job, and it's so nice, and I'd love to, you know, and we just kind of became friends that way. But um, for everybody, you know, who's going to go, because after this show, I want people to go see your clip, the Who the Fuck is Jeffrey Gurian clip, which I just saw, which is hilarious. <laughs> but um, you've been involved or around stand-up as a writer, a writer for the Friars Club, Roasts. I mean, you wrote for Milton Berle. I mean, you you, you have been in this game. <laughs> like, like I'm the baby. I'm a, I've been doing this a long time. I'm the baby here. You've been doing this. How long have you been involved in stand-up or in comedy in general? Since biblical times <laughs> when Moses needed a joke he called me and that was you know when Lot he turned to stone because he you know he was uh, 
his wife uh, turned to salt or whatever. You know, he was allergic. He had high blood pressure, and his wife was made of salt. That's when that's when I started. I wrote the first roast that was in the Bible. No, it's fucking crazy. But I wanted to say first something that you said before. When if I came over to you and said you were good, I never tell people that they're good when I don't really feel it. Oh. You're really good and, oh. and and if someone is not good, I don't really write reviews. I hate critics. Yeah. I have a column, you know, in the Interabang and I've been doing it since, since in 1999 I created what I call Comedy Matters. It started out as a, as a zine. You know, okay. and then it went to other online magazines and now it's in the Interabang. It's called Jumping Around with Jeffrey Gurian. If I don't like what somebody does, I don't write badly about it. I never write. I just don't write about it. I don't right. mention a person if I don't think oh, that okay. they did well. Because as a performer myself, I respect every person that gets on stage. Sure. You know, it takes such balls to get up on stage and try to do comedy for people. To try to, to, to walk out in front of a room full of strangers and make them laugh with thoughts yeah. that you think are funny. Sure. It's crazy. Sure. Most I, people never do that. Yeah. So so I never write reviews, and it's interesting to, to hear <laughs> that you are nervous about oh, what yeah. I would do. But I came over because I truly enjoy what you do. You know, you're you're well, great, and that's why Bill picked you to open. You don't oh, just get to Carnegie Hall by accident. Oh no, you know, and, and I appreciate it, and I also appreciate that you're not one of those guys that looks out for you know bad things to write about people because people do. But that comes because you're a performer yourself, and like, you, you know how hard it is. Like you said, you appreciate what it takes. I respect everybody that gets out on a stage. There are some people, you know, I may not like what they're talking about. A lot of young guys these days, sure, they talk about hor horrible. They try to be shocking and they talk about ugly shit yeah. and it turns me off. But I still don't even write about that because I wouldn't give them the power of writing sure. about it. Sure. But I really respect every performer. I hate sure. critics. Yeah. Who, well, like, how can you go to bed at night thinking, oh, what do you do for a living? I criticize people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what kind of a fucking job is that? Yeah. You criticize people. Yeah, I'm not no. going to do that. No, you're 100% right. And and I feel that um, those people that do that, those bloggers that hate on people, those are people that were never performers. You know that? Exactly. Those are people that never could get up there and do it. So it's easy to, it's easy to you know, you know, shoot those bullets out when you haven't really lived it, you know, and, and you lived it. But no, I appreciate it because I've seen how much comedy you've seen. And uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like people don't understand like, um, I was so taken back to do Carnegie Hall, and I was so taken back to do the Beacon with Bill and all these places. But I, you know, Bill is such a you know, Bill is a perfectionist and all that. And I knew. I mean, Bill has told me. He goes, listen, I wasn't putting you on that if I didn't think you could. Absolutely. You know what I mean? so, if you would make him, if you would put him in a bad light, when someone chooses you, it's a reflection on them. Sure. If they chose somebody that didn't do well, he's not doing it to be polite, yeah. man. He yeah. believes in you, yeah, especially, which yeah. is major props. Oh, yeah. Major props because yeah. Bill's so big. Oh, I mean, he's, yeah, he's great. And, and, you know, but what's amazing is the amount of years that Bill did it and then and that mine is like half of what he's done uh, years-wise. You've been – who was the first – here's a great question. <laughs> who was the first comedian that might have said to you, Hey, Jeffrey, I'd like you to write, or I'd like to do this with you. I'd like you to write me a joke. Or well, I know the very first. Who was the first His one? name is Dick Capri. He still performs. The first big story I ever wrote for was Rodney. But how I got to him was through Dick Capri. I used to write for Rodney. And you wrote for Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, he did my stuff on The Tonight Show, man. He did my stuff on his first album, No Respect. Sure. He did a joke of mine. It was like, you know, Rodney had stock openings. You know, I'm all right now, but last week was rough. You yeah, know? Okay. I don't do the voice, but you know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you got to do it. You know, he says, I only date ugly girls. I went out with one girl. She was so ugly. I bet that to pet her cat. It was the hair on her legs. She was a very <laughs> ugly girl. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got a check in the mail for 50 bucks in those days. Yeah. 
Rodney paid the most of anybody. And I'll never forget the thrill of opening that mail and uh, finding a check from Rodney. And he uh, goes, good, good job, Jeff. Keep it up. And I wrote stuff for him. I mean, he did an opening joke on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Now, you know, when Rodney would do The Tonight Show, he would prepare, because he never did conversation. He's not a conversationalist. He would do material in his act, yeah. and then he'd do jokes when on he sat couch. on the couch. Sure. Right. So he takes this joke, and he goes, I'm using this for my opening. And the joke was, you know, uh, again, he started with, I'm all right now, but last week was rough. You know, he yeah, says, yeah. I, I bought one of those whirlpools for my bathtub. The first night I used it, I lost three of my best ships. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah, yeah, yeah. such a simple it's, joke simple. but he loved it and yeah. he paid me like 250 bucks for that one line and he did it with Carson I that's, was blown away that's man. unbelievable I was blown to away to watch that and see, and the thing about uh, Rodney too is everything was joke. he did like 40, 50 jokes just he I remember he Pound did it when out. he was like almost when like his 75th birthday he came out on Leno and he just mm-hmm. sat there and he just sharp as joke, a, joke, just, joke everything was just like four jokes I used to give him pounds of jokes and I'd say Rodney look at all the jokes he goes yeah Jeff but they gotta be funny you know <laughs> <laughs> they gotta be funny I said oh I didn't realize that Rodney you know? do you have any good Rodney stories as far as the guy he was off stage or yeah well I used to sit with him in his dressing room and he would always wear like a bathrobe and pajamas. I always heard a robe. Yeah. And not a nice bathrobe and pajamas, just a regular bathrobe and pajamas and that's how he'd walk around the club and he would tell me, he says, Jeff, uh, what's the difference between Jews and Italians? I'm like, I don't know, Rodney. He goes, they both take a leak in the sink but the Jews take the dishes out first. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't oh that my great? God, that's, oh, that's Isn't great. Isn't that great? And, and I used to that's be with great. him Dick Capri and him and his best friend Joe Ansis. He had a friend, Joe Ansis, who was the, supposedly the inspiration for Lenny Bruce. Joe Ansis was the funniest man who never got on stage. And they hung out at a place called Hanson's. And they had a round table of people. And it was Rodney and Joe and other comedians of that ilk. And Joe was like, he was an old-time hipster. Um, he and Rodney were aluminum siding salesmen. Yes. And we would talk about hip. And Rodney said to me once, he goes, Jeff, you know who's hip? I'm like, who? He goes, two guys in the village. <laughs> that was it. That's who's hip. Two guys in the village. It was the best fucking line. I actually told that line to Paul Schaefer because he's the hippest man in show business, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he loved it, you know. Uh, I also asked him, like, uh, Milton Berle used to tell me, who was my sponsor in the Friars Club, by the way. I met him shortly after I started writing. Yeah. You know? What happened, if you want to hear the, the, the story. Please, yeah. Okay. This was in the late 70s. Saturday Night Live had just started. It was kind of new, right? Yeah. And I had been writing jokes and shit since I'm 12 years old, but I never really had the courage to do anything. I didn't know what to do, right? Saturday Night Live starts, and I'm like, I got to get involved with this, right? And I'm doing films at the time. I'm out on the street shooting little crazy films. They were like faux news items, like uh, several men were arrested for smearing cream cheese on the ankles of elderly women who wore their stockings rolled down like bagels. Do you ever see the old women with the stockings rolled? Looks like fucking bagels to me. So I got my dear grandmother to let me put cream cheese on her ankles. That's how sick I was. She let me roll down her stockings, and she made believe she had a Jewish accent. She, she was born in this country, but, she, for, but for me, she would do anything. And she made believe she had a Jewish accent. And she said, you know, we have two kind of stockings, one for milk and one for meat. Oh, she yeah. goes, and this crazy man, he smears cream cheese on my meat stockings and I can't get it off. And I zoom in on her ankles and there's cream cheese on the ankles. So anyway, I'm doing all these, these films and 
I was doing them also about the masters of disguise. The masters of disguise were master criminals who disguised themselves as inanimate objects to commit their crimes. Right. Yes. So it starts out as two men disguised as coats rob a hat store. Right, right, they come right. in over the arms of two other men, and they say, just act naturally like with your coats and nobody will get hurt. Right. Right? <laughs> right. And then I interview the guys who were the supposed victims of the crime, who give their account, well, I don't know what's going on. I'm walking into this hat store. The guy puts a gun in my ribs, and he says, just act naturally like with your coats, and nobody will get hurt. What's this city coming to? <laughs> so I get these films, and I make them up. Now, at the time, I'm driving what could only be described as a pimp-mobile. Right. I bought... <laughs> I bought a, a mandarin orange Eldorado wow. that had been made for one of the Isley brothers, right? And, and I'll tell you how I know this for sure because it was confirmed in recent years. But I went to this dealership and the guy, I said, I want a flashy car. This is my first car that I was buying for myself. He goes, I have a car that was made for one of the Isley brothers, and it was Mandarin Orange. It was a 75 Eldorado like the pimps drove. Wow. And I went and I bought a Rolls-Royce grill, and I pimped it out That's... way before MTV <laughs> existed, <laughs> way, way before anybody did pimp my ride. And, and I was a doctor at the time, so I had doctor's plates on the car. And I'm driving, I drive up to 30 Rock in this car. Trust me, no white man ever drove a car like this, right? And, and so I drive up to 30 Rock, and I throw the doorman some money. In those days, you could drive right up to the building. There was no terrorism. No, nobody cared about anything. Sure, sure. And I say to the guy, Lorne Michaels is expecting me. Watch my car. No. I throw, I throw the guy some money. I go in. I sneak past the security because you could do that in those days. I get in the elevator. I go up to Saturday Night Live on the 17th floor. Alan's Y. Bell is playing handball on the wall with Neil Levy, who was Lorne Michaels' cousin. He was a producer on the show at the time. They were all kids. Everybody was kids. What? I get up to Saturday Night Live, and I show him these crazy films. I say to him, listen, i got to show you this. you got to see this. They look. They watch the films. To this day, Zweibel remembers the cream cheese on the ankles. He says he can't get that image out of his mind. Wait a and, minute. So wait a minute. I, got, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt yeah. No, no, get This, get this get is get insane. So you were a kid. Right, I'm a kid. You're a kid. Yeah. And you're shooting these crazy videos. Right. And you're getting your grandmother involved. Right. You know, all these people that love you and believe in you. Right. You're doing these crazy things. Right. The, the inanimate objects, all that stuff. Okay, right. So you're doing uh, that. A prominent businessman who wears you, swim fins to the office. And did a whole, yeah. You say to yourself, I got to get involved in Saturday Night Live. Exactly. Somewhere, how? how I don't know how, but I got to do it. You got to yeah. do it. So you buy this. You buy this uh, well, I didn't buy it just for that. I'm right. driving this car in the first place. So you're driving this pimped out. Mandarin orange car. Right, I'm wearing a long leather coat. I have two guns. You have I, no I ties <laughs> whatsoever to anybody at Saturday Night Live. No, nothing. nothing. Zero. You show up there. I don't know anybody. You sneak I, past security. You say, Laura Michaels is waiting for you. You go actually get up there. Up to Saturday Night Live. And you get up to Saturday Night Live. With my tapes. And, and Lauren Michaels and his cousin. Alan's Bell. Yeah. Who was who became like a head writer who who, who was like an award winning writer sure. and producer and director now. Uh, who is w working with Lisa Lampanelli on her new Broadway show, and he with he writes he wrote Billy Crystal, okay, uh, you know Seven Hundred Sundays, recent, right, right, right. Yeah, uh, he's uh, like huge. So you get up he, there. I get up there. I show it to him. Wow. He watches it. He's impressed enough that he calls his agent. Doesn't just give me the number. Calls on my behalf. A guy named David Jonas. David Jonas died in recent years at a hundred years old. He was the guy who discovered Freddie Prinze. And got Freddie Prinze, Chico, and the man. Okay. And I'm sitting in his office. The next thing I know, I'm sitting in his <laughs> office as a result of Alan's White Bell calling him. And I'm showing him cream cheese on the ankles and, and men disguised as coats. And he goes, what is that? I, what am I going to do with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, I, I need jokes. 
Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how to write a joke. I wrote sketch. I wrote crazy films crazy like that, film, right? Yeah, yeah. So it took me a year. He's he, like he, he he kept trying to dissuade me. He goes, "You don't want this business. It's a crazy business. Stick to what you're doing." Yeah. And I'm like, "No, but I do want this. I've been doing this since I'm a kid, and I really want to write jokes." So at the time, he was handling a guy named Dick Capri. And Freddie Roman, who went on to do Catskills on Broadway, and sure. he became the, the dean of the Friars Club. Okay. So I got started writing <clears throat> jokes for them. Dick Capri was the very first comic who bought stuff from me and started doing my stuff. And through him, that's how I met Rodney in 1980 and started writing for him. And once I started writing for him, he was already huge. He was, he was actually too famous to appear at his own club. <clears throat> and yeah. once I started writing for him, that's how things started rolling for me, and that's how it... That's how it caught on, because he was the first big star I wrote for. Then I got to write for Milton Berle, who became my sponsor in the Friars Club. And wow. I don't know if you know, Berle was known for having like the biggest schlong in show business. I did not did know you, that. You didn't know that? Okay. Well, that was his reputation. It's in all the books. It's in everything. Oh, he really? did everybody in Hollywood. He fucked every chick in Hollywood. Yeah, it was like immense. So... He once showed it to me when I didn't ask. I didn't ask, because it's not the kind of thing that I would ever ask. Yeah. So I wrote a joke for a Friars Roast. I said, uh, if Burl's cock had a blonde wig, it could pass for Paul Williams. <laughs> and he wound up using that as his signature line. He said, who wrote? He called it the Burl's cock joke. And he says, who wrote the Burl's cock joke? I want to meet that guy. So Dick Capri brought me over to meet him. Wow. And that's how we bonded. Over his over his over dick. His, wow! <laughs> and then I wrote many jokes about his cock, that wound up being well known, which I didn't know. in In two thousand seven, I was asked to do a book based on my writing for the Friars Roast because I wrote for them for like fifteen years. Right. And it was a book called Filthy, Funny, and Totally Offensive, and I needed a forward for the book, so I called Paul Provenza because he had just done the movie The Aristocrats. Yeah. And it was known as like the filthiest movie of all time, right? So I'm like, who better to write the forward for my book, Filthy, Funny, and Totally Offensive, yeah, than Paul, Paul Provenza? Provenza right. And he's a good friend. And, and he came through with a great, a great uh, forward for the book. But the first page and the last page are jokes, my personal jokes, that I wrote for the Friars Roast. Okay. So I wrote, um, what, you know what? I'm forgetting. I, I put it right here. And... I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Why, why was I telling you that story? Am I getting fucking Alzheimer's? There was a reason that I was telling you that story about... Uh, well, you're about, saying Milton Burrell's... Mil oh, oh, Milton oh, Burrell's, yeah. yeah. So I started telling him, I wrote a joke for Milton. Milton would have loved to be here tonight, but unfortunately, he had a little accident before the show. He was fucking this chick in his hotel room, and on his way over to the bed, he accidentally tripped and pole vaulted out the window. <laughs> so... Provenza interrupts me in the middle of the joke and he goes, the pole vaulting joke? You wrote the pole vaulting joke? I'm like, you know that joke? He goes, what are you kidding me? That's a fucking classic joke. Everybody knows that joke. So I had no idea. You had no idea that, that, that people that knew the pole vaulting joke. It. Nah, it was just the thing. I was always writing jokes about his dick. And he always That's said old. to me, never tell anyone how we met. Because <laughs> he, <goes, laughs> he, he was very fond of saying... Don't do blue humor. You know, at the roast in those days, they were always filthy. Mm -hmm. And Milton was one of the best roast masters of all time. And a lot of people listening to your podcast may not even know who Milton Berle was. 
that hopefully, I, I would say maybe hopefully half to do, and I would hope more because Milton Berle is Milton Berle. And Mr. Television, man, he's the reason. The reason he had that name was because in this country, people didn't have TVs in the 1940s. They actually bought TVs to watch his show, the Texaco Star Theater. And, and, you know, when TVs were new, they would have television stores in Manhattan, and this is before my time, but they would have TVs lined up in the window, and people would stand in the street to watch his show. That's how popular Outside he was. Outside the store. Outside yeah. the store in the street. They would yeah, have too. the TVs on to encourage people to buy televisions, yeah, wow. and they would watch Milton Berle's Texaco Star Theater. And that's how he got the name Mr. Television, because wow. he sold more TVs in this country than anybody. Wow. That's why people bought televisions, to watch him. That's amazing. So now, he sponsored you for the Friars Club. For membership in, this, for, in the Friars Club. So just you writing for him and do, doing that, that was it? Like, then you got in after that? Well, you need two people. So oh, okay. we were out in L.A., and he was the president of the L.A. Friars. In okay. those days, there were two clubs. And he brought me in to the L.A. Friars first, because he was the fucking president. He's like, Jeffrey, I want you to come in. I'm sponsoring you. Who's going to say no? So he sponsored me, and it was, it was amazing. What That's an honor. incredible, yeah. Of Burl as my sponsor. And, and then his lawyer was my second. And then I just got to, you know, I was writing for the Friars for years, so I got to write for Bruce Willis when he was roasted, Jerry Lewis. Oh. I spent two nights in a hotel room alone, which sounds weird, but just me and Jerry Lewis working on material. Oh, wow. You know how insane that was? How was that? It was unbelievable. And while I was with him, we had an amazing experience. He got a phone call. This is incredible, by the way. He got a phone call from someone who told him that they discovered the gene that caused the Duchenne form of muscular dystrophy. You know, he always did the telethons for yes. muscular dystrophy yes. for so many years. Yes. Well, he gets this phone call while I'm there with him. I remember like it was yesterday. He sat on the couch, and he gets this call, and tears are streaming down his face. He's crying Wow. because he's so moved that they call him to tell him that they discovered this gene. And I'm there, just the two of us, I'm there to so share the this moment with raising. him. The money that he was helped raising for this. Right. For it was all for research, for research. And finally there's a breakthrough. A breakthrough. And you're there. And I'm there to share like, that right, moment with him. Wow, and he's just crying. Crying. Wow. That's amazing, Jeff. I've had some unbelievable experiences. And he told me the whole story of how he and Dean Martin got started. And, you know, we just sat there for two nights, man. Just like an, an experience that's, you know, it's incomprehensible to me when I have found, found myself in... You know, places like that with people like that who I never, ever thought that I would know. And he told me, you know, how like that he had an original partner before Dean Martin and that guy didn't work out. And he was playing at, I think, the 500 Club in Atlantic City owned by a guy named Skinny D'Amato. <laughs> <laughs> sure, right. You don't want to fuck with a guy named Skinny D'Amato. And, and, and so he didn't like the way the act was going. So Jerry tells the guy, don't worry, I got a guy who can replace this guy. And he's amazing because he said he always looked up to Dean Martin because Dean Martin was so handsome. And he goes, and I looked like a monkey in those days. He, was, he said he always made fun of his appearance. And Dean Martin to him was the epitome of cool. Yeah. He calls Dean Martin. He says, look, we got this gig. Come down here and I'll train you. They do the first show and it stinks. Cause they didn't, cause he didn't teach him any of the old routines. And Skinny D'Amato says, "Bring that skinny Jew to my office." <laughs> and Jerry says to me, he threatened him, because if you go out on that stage and you're not funny, the second show, they're not gonna find you. <laughs> so he goes, he spent that time teaching Dean the old routines that he did with his old partner. Yeah, yeah. He goes, the second show they killed. 
He goes, by the second week, there were lines around the block to see Martin and Lewis. Wow. He goes, we started out, we didn't even have money for suits. All of a sudden, we're wearing tuxedos. Oh, man. He's like, it just blew up out of nowhere. He goes, we had such amazing chemistry. That's amazing. Yeah, and he just shared those stories with me, and it was just... You know, mind blowing. Mind blowing for yeah. me. Mind blowing for me. Especially somebody like you that's such a student of the game and so into it, and you started. You do anything to, you know, you fucking smear. Creatures, I'm like, where are my cycles? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's. I knew there was no limits as to what I would do <laughs> to break in, and 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 then you know to have experiences like that, they're priceless. I'd be on the phone with Milton Berle and I'm pitching myself. I'm fucking talking to Milton Berle, and he's he answered the phone yeah. when Frank Sinatra died. I was in L.A. And I called Milton. And he goes, you know, you're the only person I'm talking to. And I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he said to me. He goes, I'm not taking calls because everyone in the press is calling me about Sinatra dying and all. He goes, but I, I'm talking to you. I go, I don't even know what to say to that. Wow, yeah. How honored I am. You know, that's... I would call him to let him know that I was there. Yeah. And then he brought me to his house and wow. showed me around. He had wow. a whole building filled with jokes. Where was he from? Where is he from, Milton Bro? I think he was born here. I don't remember for yeah. sure, but I think he was. He was a, his mom was a stage mom, and she used to take him around as a little kid. Yeah. He started in show business like when he was four or five years old. Wow, this is all fascinating. Now, here, here's something I remembered as you were talking, and this is what is um, fascinating about you, Jeffrey. I, I watched your video, and I, I, um, I urge everybody to go watch uh, Who the Fuck is Jeffrey uh, Gurian because all, all the comedians that talked in it which I know most of them, all said the same thing that I said. But I just realized as we were talking, um, you have a way about you that is just, it's insane. Like, it's impossible to not like you. If somebody doesn't like you, it's them. And, I mean, that thing about Milton Berle calling you when Sinatra dies, I get it. But just so people could know, because a lot of the listeners now may not know some of these names we're talking about, but they will know a name that I'm about to say. When when Patrice O'Neill passed, rest his soul, mm. okay, I read something that you wrote about him. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, and I'm just being honest, I'm like, who's this guy talking about Patrice? I didn't know that you had any real, that you didn't know, like, you know, I didn't know what mm -hmm. what that was. You know, uh, you don't know if somebody's trying to associate themselves. Exactly. Know, you know what I mean? Exactly. Absolutely. And then until I met you, I was like, now, now I know. But things that... Um, Patrice O'Neill, who everybody knows now was, um, you know, gone way too soon, but such an amazing, amazing comic, and who knows where he would have went. He was a guy that was just uh, geared to you. And, 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 you know, so it's like, so if you go from the difference, you got Milton Berle on one side. So Patrice O'Neill, how Patrice can you get any more and divergent? It's like that, so you're getting, so so what I'm seeing is, and in the short time that I've known you, you I see you at the stand, I see you when I did the, the show with Seinfeld over at Gotham I'm that night. Place, yeah. You know, yeah, that's another thing. This guy, <laughs> I, you, I think there's three of you. I, I think there's three Jeffrey Gurns because I, I'll tell you something. If I go to a show and there's a big, and it's a big bill, and I'm just on this insane lineup, some night, at some point of the night, this guy's showing up. I just, I, it's like, you're like, how the fuck is this guy at Gotham? And then it, two hours later, he's at a theater. You're like, what? And he, and he ends up doing it. And uh, by the way, I love the... I, this is how cool this dude is, okay? Um, I get in your car that night. I get in your car oh, that night. Oh, after the party. At the party, yeah. If yeah, there was a party. Yeah, there was a Comedy Central party. Comedy Central party. And I get in your car afterwards. I was outside. We're outside with some comedians, some executives from Comedy Central. And you were like, I'll take you guys where, where you need to go. And we're like, ah, oh, we're going to go to this bar around. Yeah, I'll take you. And I get in. And I'm, don't, don't worry, we're going to get back to the petition. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. But I get in, and it is all of my favorite 90s hip hop. 
And I'm like, this is fucking like, I, if you see Jeff, you're like, there's no out. You would, somebody would think it's going to be, and I'm sure you like all this stuff, yeah. but you think it's going to be Zeppelin. Like or you think it's Leonard Skinner or something. Yeah, so like you that. think it's going to be something. Yeah. And, and you, I mean, it, you, it's like 92, 93, 94, the best. Snoop and Dre. Yeah, the old school yeah. stuff. Like, it was just, uh, oh man, it was just, and I was just like, who is this guy? Um, but no, the, the, the Patrice thing when but I that, but it's funny because that relates to Patrice and I don't want to take you off but Patrice sure. said to me when he made me his co-host you know it was Dante Nero first then he brought me on and honored me by making me his co-host on the Black Phillip show do you know that I still get emails to this day I got them this week people saying I loved you on Black Phillip the Black Phillip show rules yeah. it's amazing yeah. he said I was the only white man he ever met who knew all the words to bitch better have my money oh, that's <laughs> <laughs> because that was my favorite song yeah. and that happened to be his theme song and I didn't know it. Wow. I didn't know that. And the song comes on and I'm doing the words with him and he's like, that's fucking crazy, Jeffrey. How do you know that song? I'm like, that's my favorite song, man. Wow. Wow. So how did you meet? How did you guys meet? We met in the comedy community and it was such an interesting bond. And his wife, Van de Carlo, I mean, she she understands it and she talks about it. We had such an interesting relationship. You know, Patrice was known well, first of all, I always feel like I knew him in a different way than other people did. There are people sure. who knew him much longer, maybe much better in a different... We had a, such an incredible bond. Um, how can I say? He he was like... To me, he was a comedy philosopher, first yes, of all. Yeah. But he would embrace me. When we saw each other, we would hug. We never wrote that, yeah. We never put each other down. You know how a lot of comics, they want to bust each other's balls all the time. That's just what comics do for some reason. I don't do that. It's not comfortable for me. Me neither. I embrace people. I like to to build people up. I don't want to take them down. And I don't need to do that. A lot of comics are very comfortable with it. I asked Colin about it once. You know, tough crowd. It was all about that. You know, I don't think I could handle that. Colin, you know, he, he encourages that. Even though he is, has a very sensitive side, Colin Quinn. A lot of people don't know that, and I don't know if he'd want me to even say it, but right. he's very cool that way. Oh, but, he's cool. but, but, he, but he can handle that kind of thing. Patrice O'Neill and I, we always respected each other. And we, you know, a lot of people thought he was a misogynist, which is so far from the truth. He loved women. He yeah. just hated that men became weak around them. Yes. That men gave up all their power around it. Yeah. And he was fascinated by the fact that, you know, it sounds it sounds weird to say it, but he liked the girls that I was with. He liked my taste in women. Right. Sure. And he's like, and I would bring girls up to the show all the time. I, I'm, I'm always, I have a certain taste for women that he appreciated. Yeah. And he's like, Jeffrey, he said you're a level 12 pimp. That's and right. I took that as a compliment. Yeah, sure. If Patrice O'Neill calls yeah. you a level, a level 12 pimp is, is really cool. And so... We, we, we used to talk about how we would approach women. Now, I could never say the things that he said, and he could never say the things that I said, because it wasn't natural for either of us. Right. But we had this mutual respect. Yeah. He made me happy when I saw him. Yeah. I said to him, Patrice, when we do a show together, you should walk out holding me in your arms. Because uh, yeah. <laughs> he was just so big. You know, He's yeah. like 6'5 and 300 yeah. pounds. And there was just something about him. We just got along so well. Yeah. It's just one of those things where you click with somebody. We just clicked. Click, there was yeah. no explaining it. If you saw us, you'd be like, I like, I, I was honored for Black History Month. I think I may have been the only white guy <laughs> that was ever honored for Black History Month. Yeah. I was doing workshops, comedy workshops at Gotham Comedy Club for inner city kids. Wow. And I invited some of my black comedian friends to come in and speak to the kids to inspire them. Patrice came in for me, man. 
Um, I'm trying to remember who else. Maybe Kyle Grooms was there. Um, wow. So, um, oh, I can't think of the names, but it stood out to me that Patrice sure. spent, spent like an hour on stage. I have tapes of it, man. And he came you in. You guys couldn't be goes, any more different. Nothing, you couldn't yeah. look any more different. So different, yet the connection. It was a heart connection. Yeah. We bonded from the heart. I yeah. genuinely really loved Patrice. And yeah. Vaughn said he felt the same way about me. And at the funeral, you know, when I went... You know, and Billy Burke was kidding me. He's like, Jeffrey, you're not going to take pictures here. I'm like, Billy, of course not. No, but but uh, I didn't go into the room because there was a room where his family was, and I didn't feel I didn't want to impose. I didn't even want to say anything. I stood in the aisle when they wheeled the coffin down the center, and Vaughn saw me. She like touched her heart, and I embraced her afterwards. And she said, "Thank you so much for coming. It, it would have meant a lot to Patrice to know that you were here. I loved him." Yeah. I really did. I had yeah. an affection for him that I don't just say it. I really oh, meant would, yeah. it. And he knew it. Yeah. And I know, and I always told him that. And he just knew it. He, yeah. And you know, one thing is I, the guy really did love honesty. He's another guy that I was afraid of. I used to have fake arguments. Like, not fake arguments, like literally out loud, but I would say to myself, if he comes at me, this is what I'm going to say. Yeah, right. You know, People had to prepare themselves I was, because yeah. you never knew. But, but that's what was so interesting that he never did it with me. No, and you know what? He didn't with me. He didn't with me. He kind of yeah. stayed quiet. And then, um, you know, one time, though, actually, I saw I did a guest spot at, at Comics. I opened for him in um, in Bananas. Oh, really? Oh, you yeah. had the opportunity to open I, for I, him? I featured for him at Bananas. Uh-huh. And I did well. After I got off, he kind of gave me a thumbs up. You know, we, wasn't so talkative, but wasn't... Anytime we did have a talk, it was nice. Mm-hmm. Then uh, after that, I did a guest spot at uh, Comics. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I said, yeah, I don't know if you remember. He goes, yeah, you know, you looked familiar. And I said, I just got to tell you. I said, I always knew you were good, but I didn't realize you were that good. And he laughed out loud, and he genuinely appreciated the honesty. Yes. And I saw that. But here's one Patrice story that I have which really let me know. Because I didn't get him at first. Mm-hmm. Even his comedy. I was like, it seems like he just would start and then stop. And it seemed like he didn't care. And I didn't get until late and working with him and seeing how what he was saying, mm-hmm. how powerful it was. But at first I was like, is this guy taking this seriously? And then, you know, it looks like he just hops from a top. But, right. but then when I watched, I was like, man, this guy is good. But here, here's, here's a great story. And I don't know if I told everybody this. And I want to definitely talk more about your stories and everything because you are a fascinating figure in comedy. And I really do believe that, like, people that know you, you have to know you. Thank you. You know, <laughs> but, but um, one thing that happened, and it, was, it blew my mind. I was in the green room at Comics, mm-hmm. and Patrice was there. I was, you know, did a guest spot, so you know I had access to the room or whatever. And, and, and the green room was like a narrow room it in the back. It was a narrow room, and small, had like yeah, a flat yeah, screen yeah, yeah, TV. Yeah. And there was people in there. His agent was in there. Um, D.L. Hughley was in there. Mm-hmm. Good friend of mine. Um, yeah, who else was in there? Uh, was it Tara Stanton? Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know Ron Probably, Reese hosted. So there was yeah. a, there was a, there was a few comedians, but pe- the comedians were kind of in and out. But what I vividly remember, and this was something that let me know, wow, because you know, guys would always talk how great he was. Burr and all those people. Yeah, talk yeah, about yeah, how sure. Great he was in yeah, and Burr was very close to him. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I remember sitting there and. D.L. Hughley, who was, is a bigger star. I mean, was a much bigger star. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people still, unfortunately, that don't know who Patrice is. Mm-hmm. You know, the people and they're that doing do... a doc this summer. Yeah. Do you know that? No, that's great. The documentary. That's... I brought Vine on Sirius and we talked about it. Yeah. They have a, an Indiegogo page, by the way, oh, where nice. people can contribute. And it's called Better Than You. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and they're raising money for it. So people who are listening to this can contribute yes. by Good. going to the Indiegogo thing. Yes. You know, I think it's at 
better than you, okay, you'll be able yeah, to find contribute it. to that. But it's going to be a great film. But go ahead, that's, tell me your story. No, no, that, that's great. And, uh, you know, if I could help, anything that the show could do to help that, you know, people that listen to this are diehard comedy fans. There's a lot of actually up-and-coming comedians who listen to this and also fans uh, around the world. We've got uh, Croatia, Germany. We got UK, awesome. we got uh, Amsterdam, we got New Zealand, Japan, so Australia, that's, everybody. That's so, fantastic. Yeah, so well, and, and because of that, that's why Billy Burr does this benefit for yes. Patrice O'Neill that yeah. is sold out at City Center. Like 3,000 yeah. people come yeah. Yeah. because of the love for Patrice. Yeah, yeah. And all the big stars show up. Absolutely. And um, yes, and you so go good. there. You've been there. With I'm the, at every one of them. You're at every I'm sure you will be. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I, I go to the, I go to, yeah, donate to that. Go to the Go-Go, Indiegogo. Indiegogo, yeah, better, better than, than, than you. you. Okay. Um, so I'm in the, I go in the green room and I notice something. And, you know, everybody knows D.L. Hughley. <clears throat> from the show, excuse mm-hmm. me, and all this stuff. and But when Patrice was talking, it was like everybody was listening. Was silent, it like... didn't matter what star was in there. It mm-hmm. was almost as if it felt like just the way he talked, his presence. He commanded it the presence. It felt like right? if Chris Rock was in there, mm-hmm. if, if it was just like DL was just kind of sitting there listening you know, and it's no disrespect to DL, but it just seemed like he knew who was going to hold the court. And I'll never forget that. That's the one thing that I was taken from was that here's a guy who wasn't even close to the fame that this guy was. Mm-hmm. And yet everybody, when Patrice talked, everybody and made sure they listen. listened. And uh, that's one thing that let me know, wow, like that's a really, that's a really, you know, um, an amazing thing to have in this business. But um, so we talked about Milton Berle and Patrice, and I know that there's, <laughs> there's a, a lot, lot in between. There's a lot of in between. Yeah. But what's amazing to me is that you are relevant in all of it. Then, now, you 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 show up. Everybody, you know, no, and like it's funny because sometimes if me and Burr are out together in the city, or I'm out just with other comics, you see people. You know, somebody want to break balls, but everybody's nice to you, likes you, and respects you in the business. And I mean, and it's easy to tell why. You know, I mean, it's easy to tell why. But um, so what? What are you like? What are you doing with the like? You're doing writing now, right? Yeah, well, I've been spending a lot of time on the radio for the last 16 months. I've been a regular right. with Ron and Fez on Sirius XM, sure. and that's been amazing for me because I love radio. I mean, it's always been my favorite thing. I always wanted to do it. I never knew how I was going to do it. Yeah. I kind of manifested it. I didn't know how to go about it. Ron Bennington is is a god to me. He, I had done the show a few times. I, you know, I, I did a book a couple of years ago called Make Them Laugh. Chris Rock wrote the introduction to it. It's about the history of the comic strip. And I was doing a lot of radio shows to promote the book. And I had met Ron several times before. He actually, he still hasn't told me why he called me to do the show. He said, someday I'm going to tell you. But he hasn't told me yet. Oh, After 16 right? months. He didn't tell me. But he called me one day and, and, and he said to me, look, every time you're on, we have this really good chemistry. I really like when you're on. It's like we have fun and it's great. Yeah. He goes, stay in touch with me. I'm doing something. And then when they moved to Raw Dog, they, they were always on the Opie and Anthony channel. When they moved to Raw Dog in January of 2013, yeah. he's like, I want you to come on. Okay. So I'm like, great. So, I, you know, I'm, uh, I, I've been on ever since. And then I, I do promos for what's happening in comedy in New York and L.A. I cover that. I record promos that play. And then once a week, I bring on a special guest. And I brought on, you know, Colin Quinn, Artie Lang, Russell Peters, Trevor Noah. I brought yeah. on in January, you know. And I call on my friend, the young guys from MTV, Chris, uh, Chris DiStefano, yeah, sure. Andrew Schultz. 
Esther Koo, yeah, Ronda yeah. Crawler. I bring on all ages of comedians because for some reason I know them. Yeah. And and it's and you know, it's interesting to me even. There, are they still doing the show? Did something happen with the show? The Ron yeah, show? Uh, Fez retired. Oh, okay. Fez yeah, retired. I, I heard something had happened. Ron is coming back. It's going to be the Bennington show. Oh, okay. And it's starting this coming Monday. I was just up there yesterday. We were talking about some stuff. So basically, it's just he's just going to do it himself. Do it himself. And just have guests. Yeah. yeah, and have guests and do whatever he plans to do. I didn't ask his inner workings. I'm going to be surprised like everybody else, but okay. it's going to be the Bennington show. The Bennington show starting yeah. Monday. And Ron's amazing. He does these unmasked interviews where he spends an hour, an in-depth interview with, you know, he did Dan Aykroyd recently, the Farrelly Brothers. Oh, that's uh, great. Russell Brand. Nice. You know, he does every. He spends an hour and does an in-depth thing. Uh, John Cryer was on last week, and he is he's, he's very special. He does these incredible interviews. So to me, yeah. he's amazing. So that I've been spending a lot of time with that. And my column, one of the reasons that I'm out a lot is because I write this column for the Interabang, which is a huge site that just blew up this past oh, year. It's I, become I, huge. I, I was honored to be in it a couple times. You well, know, I write uh, about what you, I like. Yeah, you wrote, <laughs> and you wrote about the, um, you know, you wrote about my album taping, which was great, um, and uh, it went great. So yeah, no, I, I've I've been in that and I've seen that, and, and you go, you covered L.A. too, scene, right? I don't go out there much, but I speak to people in L.A. to find out what's happening. Or when my L.A. friends come to New York, which they do a lot, they perform right. at Comedy Juice. You know, there's sure. a lot of shows that go on. Access TV's Gotham Comedy Can Live. Sure. So I'm around to every club. I try to get every place. <laughs> That's yeah. why you say I've never seen anything like I've it. I've conquered the space-time continuum. I figured I, I had to be in a few places at the I, same I've time. I've never seen anything like yeah, it. It's crazy, right? And people are like, are like Jeffrey, like Jeffrey, 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 you're here. I just saw you there. How'd you get here? Yeah. Like, yeah, you when get you get home, the I'll theater, be in your house. You get from a theater to a comedy club that night you're like how is this guy's covering it all that's i drive that's what i do man I'm, I'm i'm at every place i think it's important that i'm there and that i just you know i stay i do my thing and then i go someplace else you know yeah i like to stay on top of what's happening on who's hot on who's coming up in the ranks yeah. i love watching people progress yeah you know, yeah. it's exciting, man, seeing that. That's, you know, yeah, that's and the you know, and and I and I write my own stuff because I'm performing. You know, much more than I used to. I didn't perform for many years. And the truth was, I was nervous to go on stage because you know it's different when you start out and you don't know anybody. Yeah. But once you know a lot of people, it puts a lot of pressure on you. It's like being somebody's famous son or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like if you're Chris Rock's younger brother, or that's why I give Jordan so much credit. Yeah, it's Jordan be Rock. You're coming out, you know, people just expect you to be good. And there are times when you might not be good. Sure. And so it's really hard. So as a writer, because I knew so many people, it, it felt like even more pressure for me to go out on stage. But I challenge myself. I, I try to do everything that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I went to Europe by myself for two weeks. Did you? Yeah, because I get fucking lost everywhere I go. Like shit happens to me that can't even happen to a human being. <laughs> my The tip of... I'm in the airport waiting to get on a plane. And the tip of my sport jacket... You know, I always wear a sport jacket. The tip of my sport jacket gets caught in the zipper of my luggage. And I can't get it out. And I'm running through the airport attached to my suitcase all bent over like a fucking <laughs> spider. I'm walking through the airport like... Like Groucho Marx. And I can't get it out. I can't get my jacket out of my zipper. Oh my <laughs> I had to fucking rip the thing to get on the plane. Um, that's like a sitcom. Theoretically, that can't even happen to a person. <laughs> and it happens to me all the time. You're one of those. One of those. The yeah. most ridiculous things happen to me. Now, you do stand-up now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do stand-up now. Yeah, all over. Wherever you can. Yeah. Just get up. Just write People invite me to come on shows. Yeah. Well, I have a whole act. I have a whole thing that I do. I have a lot of material. 
Oh, okay. It's, oh, so you so you do you, you and you're always refining old jokes and stuff yeah. like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have folders and I've been writing jokes for so many years. I have such a backlog of material. I don't have as many places to do it. I was hosting at the comic strip for about a year and a half. I hosted the 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 late night show. Okay. Oh yeah. And that was really good because it gave me a lot of stage experience, and I felt you know, it's fun. And yeah. you go out all the time, and you work out new material. You know. Yeah, yeah. And now I just you know I work at other clubs, and people invite me to do shows, and and that's very cool, and I really enjoy it. And I'm working on a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, you know that book. I I, I also, I used to be a writer reporter for Weekly World News. And that's my favorite thing. That that was like the precursor to The Onion. Right, just fake, ridiculous. Well, they're not fake. We can't call them fake. But <laughs> like, man robs bank with his chin. How could that be fake? <laughs> right? You know, college professor fired for casually removing his spine. Yeah, that can't be fake. No, no. No, uh, but you can't do that. Right. You can't remove your spine in class because the students get upset. <laughs> right. That he would ask the students to help him reinsert his spine. You can't do that because what if it goes in wrong? You know, nobody wants to be responsible for that, you know? Uh, right, right. You know, man, man with infant's head sues for discrimination. Oh my now, this god! Is a, this and is there's a, actually a picture. That's the funniest part. There's actually a picture of a man in a business suit and his head is a baby. Well, he suffers from infantilism. <laughs> he can't get a job on Wall Street. He says it's because he has the head of an infant. They say it has nothing to do with that. They say it's because he misrepresented his financial experience. They need someone to run a billion-dollar hedge fund, and he ran the cash register in a bakery. You can't run a hedge fund if you. Worked at a bakery, right? But right. he says he says they laughed at him and pointed at his head <laughs> during the interview. That they say that didn't happen. They laughed because he had uh, such a good sense of humor, right? And they take pictures of all their prospective employees, and he says they were rude to him. But he says they say they were they 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 were so kind they even helped him untie his hat because he wears an infant's bonnet that's tied under oh, his chin. Shit, yeah. And they say that's not a good look for their firm. Oh, that's you got a, any other funny ones in there? Oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I have I have tons of them, uh, you know. So you were... Uh, man allergic to clothing gets permission to come to work nude. Um, that's... What is this? Uh, this, yeah, hold on a second. Top dancing for the criminally insane. Man paints replica of the Sistine Chapel with his beard. Commitment. Now, you know, you can't paint with your beard because your beard is too flat. What is this one? You need a long beard. Half his elderly audience with great joke. Now, the joke was so funny, we couldn't even print it. Uh, that's because funny. we didn't have the insurance. So you had this idea of this, which The Onion does now. You were doing this... You way before that. Way before I'm that. actually working with Scott Dickers right now. Scott is the guy who created The Onion. And I'm going to be doing a book of these, my stories, and he's going to write the forward to you it. You know what you're like? You remind yeah. me of, you're like a, the guy who always wants to invent something. Yeah. And he's always coming up with ways to try to and get it in patent, but yeah. you're doing that with comedy. Yeah, exactly. And you're touching on everything. <laughs> on everything. You're just, you are in comedy, man. I mean, That's I, walked, life, I walked man. into your house and I saw the wall. I mean, you have a picture with everybody i've never seen anything like it you have a picture with everybody but you know what's interesting about that and you know i often wonder why it's because you know i never collected one autograph i don't care about that i don't do it for that reason it's because my life never seemed real to me it felt like a movie like how the fuck could i meet all these people it was so interesting to me and at that one moment i wanted to capture the energy of the moment yeah i have pictures that go back 30 years man yeah like just like and like with the greats of comedy, like George Burns, you know, yeah. and, and, and Sammy Davis Jr., not that he was a comedian, but in that 
the Rat Pack. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and just like I wanted to capture you met the moment. Burns? Sure. There's a picture yeah. of me and him on the I wall. I didn't even see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Red Buttons, Henny cool? Youngman. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, they all knew because I was friends with Milton. Yeah. So I got that respect right away. And, you know, it was amazing. That's incredible. But, yeah, but so I always took pictures. There's only, th you know, as a kid, there were only three people I ever wanted to meet. Woody Allen, Salvador Dali, and the Beach Boys. And I got to meet all of them. I spent an evening with all of them. Woody read my earliest material. Did any of them disappoint you in their in your meeting or not? No, not at all. Great. Uh, Salvador Dali wore a full-length mink coat in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> That was an amazing story. I told him I was a surrealistic dentist. I made up some bizarre story. I still with the pimp mobile. I used to do like crazy shit. If I needed to meet somebody, nothing would stand in my way. Yeah. And that's how I got to see uh, Woody Allen read my earliest material. Wow. And he and he and he inspired me to do films. He said this stuff is very visual, and what he read led to. I did a series of films called the Men Who series. There was a, a thing called the Toyota Comedy Festival some years ago, back in the 90s, that Alan King was one of the producers, I believe. It was at Caroline's Comedy Club. Okay. And I did a film called The Men Who Series, about men who do very unusual things, like men who take a pitchfork to the movies, uh, <laughs> men who enjoy Latin dancing with tools. Right. You know, right. you've probably seen a lot of guys dancing with tools, but you never saw a guy do the tango with a wrench. Right, right. I had a guy do the merengue with a with an extension ladder. That was unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. So I had all these like bizarre films and Woody read them and he goes, It's very visual and you yeah. should really think of making a film. Do you ever watch Game of Thrones? Like I've watched it. I'm not like a diehard. Okay, I've Peter Dinklage. Do you know yes, who he is? Yes. Peter Dinklage yes. is in my film, and it's a film called "Men Who Dance Where They're Not Supposed To." Really? <laughs> he got arrested for dancing in a no dancing zone. <laughs> yeah, I had him dancing with a 500 pound guy because it was a great visual, and he gets busted. And my artist made this amazing song. You know, it says like "No parking Tuesday and Thursday." This was like "No dancing Tuesdays and Thursdays or any other time." <laughs> <laughs> and he's dancing, and a cop comes over and arrests him. He can't help but dance. He wow. needed How long to ago dance. Was that? Twenty years ago, must have been twenty wow. years ago, and, and way before he was a big star. Yeah. But I used to, I used to go down to the Naked Angels Theater Troupe, which is you know uh, Marissa Tomei and Sarah Jessica Parker and Matthew Broderick, Fisher Stevens. All of them went on to become huge stars. Sure. And that's how I met Ethan Hawke and Peter Dinklage used to come to their events. Nice. And that's where I met them, and I asked him to be in my film. Oh, you know, okay. I, and then I did films for Playboy TV, and I had Richard Belzer in them, and Gilbert Gottfried, yeah, and Phil Hartman, and Pat Cooper, and so you know. now all these years in comedy, and you are legal. You're really a doctor. I use. I was a cosmetic dentist. You're a cosmetic dentist. I you was were. for a long time, and then I was a professor at NYU in oral medicine and orofacial pain. While I was writing for like all this stuff, I was doing all that. So the comedy stuff started as like a side thing when you were a dentist. Yeah, then, I was do I was doing that. Yeah, but I was always doing that like both. Like I couldn't make up my mind which, so I was doing both, and that's why Mulaney, when he introduced me, he goes, uh, you know, the man, the doctor. That's why, because people are like, why is he calling you a doctor? Yes, you were in the uh, Too Much Tuna. Yeah, in the Too Much Tuna thing with Nick Kroll. Yeah, Kroll show, right? Yeah, Kroll, Nick. Kroll. Nick's another one. He's like, Jeffrey, if I ever get a show, I want you to be on it. How talented is that guy? Unbelievable. He's the, one of the most talented guys <clears throat> in the business. When it comes to character I work, mean, his facial nobody beats him. And his commitment. 
You know, the last guy, when I think of Nick Kroll and I think of the commitment where he stays in character, I think of Will Farrell. That's how, right? Mm-hmm. Just commits, well, no matter how outrageous, doesn't break face. Never um, breaks character. Never breaks character. You know how hard it is to stay in character for the whole time? Yeah. He just doesn't break character ever. And and it's crazy because one of the first interviews I, I did when I went out to the show, it was him and John Mulaney and we did the Too Much Tuna thing. And I'm in the trailer with them after, and I want to do an interview for my Comedy Matters TV channel. And they're still in character. And I'm trying to interview them as Nick and John, and they're answering me as George St. Geegland and Gil <laughs> Faison. And it was like very crazy. It's very confusing. I'm like, why did you choose me for this? And they're like answering me because I was like blown away to yeah. be out there with them. That's so Doing great. that thing. And then he brought me back for the finale of the second season. I was in a sketch with Seth Rogen. Amy Poehler, Laura Dern, and Katy Perry. Wow. How crazy is that? That's crazy. Oh, so you've been, you made two appearances on there. Three. 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 Right. Yeah, and he's like, Jeffrey, I want you on the red carpet, and I want you to, to say who you Say your name. Say, hey, I'm Jeffrey Gurian from Comedy Matters TV. I want you in there with everybody. And they put a dedicated camera. It was crazy. It was so insane. Wow. It was the best time of my life. That's amazing. It was just incredible. That's... Nick, Nick has been that great to me. And John Mulaney too, John Daly, all of them. They yeah. made me feel so at home there. It that's, was just that's amazing. It was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. No, that's why. I mean, I'm glad we're doing this. That's why you have this thing where people like you got that. Th- you you know you have that thing where it's like it's a little intimidating at first because you're kind of like and I not not that you're an intimidating guy, but like like I said, whenever you know somebody has a website that they write on yeah. that they're covering comedy, right? You want yeah, you know, of you course. Wonder. You never know. You can, some people you can't trust them. You yeah, know, you know, and a lot know. of you know I've done interviews before and like it, it wasn't really the way i wanted it you yes know, they, yeah it was okay but they kind of did their little you know things and, and stuff and with you it's just it wasn't like that and, and when we talked it was like yeah man get you on the show and and talk to you about that um so you don't do dentistry any no not for many years okay. you know about what you just said i once got to thank you you know donald trump's son don jr is a really nice guy does a lot of charity work and i wrote about him in, in, in uh, a piece that I did and he called me to thank me and he said you know what you're the first person that ever wrote anything about me that didn't make some snarky remark about me yes yes I think that that happens a lot I remember I had an interview over the phone and this guy was like he was trying to not bully me but he was like well you know I've done I, you know I've it, it just I, I wasn't ready to just start being I'm not the type of guy that like if I just get on the phone I'm not going to just start being funny. funny. I'm yeah, not some yeah. clown. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean, like, yeah, I'm a exactly. comedian. Like, I write jokes. I talk about my life. I'm, you know, I think, I think I'm half a storyteller. and half, I'm probably 75% a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And the other part, like, those quick jokes. Material, yeah. You know, like, I have, I do, but I, I tell stories. I talk about my life, and there's jokes in there. But I'm not just going to get on the phone with somebody and just start being a clown. So I'm on the phone with this guy. And, you know, when I read, when it opened up, I, you know, I, I, I've mentioned a couple times. It's like, oh, I've interviewed a lot of people, George Collin, Chris Rock. And when I interviewed Paul Verzi, it took about a minute. And then the, so it was, it was fine because he painted a picture, but it just, it was, it was a snarky. It was a dig. It was, it was, it was a little was, bit was, of a it was, dig. It was yeah. a dig because I wasn't in the mood for what he wanted and he didn't like that. Yeah, that's unnecessary. Yeah, that's yeah. totally unnecessary. And there are guys who do that. They they like to do that. They yeah. feel that it makes the column more interesting. Yes. I don't agree. I don't think it's necessary. The same way that we talk, I don't think it's necessary for guys to put each other down. That's not what it takes. I'm I'm yeah. with you on that. I'm yeah. not a Listen, I'll break balls with like certain like listen, I'm going on a bus tour 
with Jason Lawhead and Bill Burr Saturday, and we're going to be gone for 17 days. And I'm sure we're going to bust each other. Right, and you can do it if you have to. And then that's yeah, yeah, but yeah. but more, but it's going to be very, it's going to be more endearing, and it's going to be that um, they do it out of love. I get that. Yeah, yeah, and it's when not Bill even Burr, bad. like he like he came over to me on the red carpet and he whispered, "Jeffrey, I never liked you," and then he started to laugh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then I told him afterwards, I said, oh, he goes, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make you sad. Oh, yeah. He's like, I had to stand that night. You know, it's just funny. I, I understand why people do it. Right. But I'm just saying, like, I don't feel the need to do no, it. No, I, I, I don't think it's a need. And I also think a lot of times it's people's insecurity why they do that. I think it's a, it, it is something that they need to do because I think that a lot of people in this business, unfortunately, don't know how to function without that tension and, and grew up with something wrong. And we do have that something's got to be wrong thing. And I think that that's a way to just kind of, you know, I remember one of the funniest things is uh, Rich Voss's album came out, and it was number one on iTunes, and I saw him at the uh, Caroline's Christmas party, and I said, oh, Rich, man, congratulations on the album, man, that's great, and he just couldn't handle it, so he just goes, fuck you. Yeah, exactly. He couldn't handle exactly. it. Exactly. He couldn't. It's, so it's so funny. Men are afraid to embrace each other that way and say, yeah. oh, that's so fucking cool, thank you. They have to come out with something like that. And it's funny because when I did Bobby Kelly's podcast, we talked a lot about that because I was nervous because I know what they do on the podcast. You know, oh, a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, but and it was very cool. I had a blast. We had a great time. Oh, who'd you do it with? Uh, Joe List. Um, oh, I can't remember. Uh, Louis J. Gomez. Okay. Um, who else is usually on? It was like a bunch of Dan regulars. Dan uh, Soda may have joined us later. Yeah, I yeah. think Dan Soda did join yeah, in. Oh, those are great. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah all great guys. Yeah. And we had a lot but of you fun. You went in thinking, oh man, I, I didn't like know what to balls. expect. Right. But and I said to Bob, and we laughed about it. I'm like, I'm yeah. not going to do that with you. And he's like, no, and I wouldn't do that to you either. Bobby said that to me. He goes, I wouldn't do that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's it's There's this thing that comedians do, but I, I recently did a podcast with somebody and they were like... Um, they were like, like I wasn't telling jokes right. Like I'm not, I'm not. I want to talk to you. If you want to talk to me, no, because like you said, you're not a clown. Conversation is conversation. Funny shit comes out while you're talking. Right. It's not. It doesn't have to that's, be contrived. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. If a topic comes up and we could riff about it and make it funny, that's great. But I'm exactly. not just going to, you know, come up with some crazy thing. Yeah, that. it's not like you're doing panel on fucking Carson it, 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 or something like that. Exactly. I'm talking. So I think a podcast is supposed to get to know people. So yeah, it's an in-depth conversation. Yes, it's 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 a very quick kind of. You know, it's only an hour, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's, I think that, like, I'd rather have people know you. Go, oh, Jeffrey Gurney, now I got to go. Wow, I heard him on Verzi's podcast, and this guy's done a lot in comedy, and this guy wrote books, and this guy has written for Milton Berle, and he, he's the, he's <laughs> I, the know, Milton Berle dick joke guy. I hate to use that reference because it makes it sound so dated. Yeah. You, know, you know, when people, re re like, when they relate me to Milton Berle, it, to me oh. it's an honor. But a lot of young people, I don't want them to think that I just only write for men who passed away. Oh no! <laughs> well, no, because I'm still I mean, you were a co-host. I mean, you were the co-host of uh, uh, Patrice, Patrice's show. Yeah, and, so that's know, what I'm saying. Like you, you. It's serious. I, I kind of cross the generations. Is how I like. To I don't see. Yeah, you're the type of guy that even though you've been doing this for a while and you've been around, you don't. You're you're in it now. You know what I mean. You're in it now. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. That's you know, how I like to feel that I'm in it. Yeah, you're in exactly. it now. It's just, yeah. it's just you happen to see so much. You know, and it's amazing to me too. And I'm so glad that you got a chance to see them because people who love comedy, they really yeah. enjoy seeing those old pictures. I still oh. like seeing them. Oh, when I walked Standing in, in I was just, I felt bad because I, I said hi to you, and then all of a sudden I just was like, wait, wait, <laughs> what is this? I mean, it's just this unbelievable wall of pictures here. 
Um, beautiful place, by the way. Beautiful. I mean, the, the whole you. setup is, is beautiful. Thank you. Um, when 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 I was doing the book on the comic strip, Richie Tinkin came here. It seemed that a lot of people had suggested a book to him, and he didn't go with anybody. Came to my house for us to talk about it. He goes, Jeffrey, you have more pictures than I have in the club. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, yeah. Because yeah. I think you're the guy who could do this book. Yeah. You know? oh. and, and it's like everybody's in the book. This book took me four years to do. You know who I... I interviewed for Chris Rock wrote the introduction first of all Chris yeah. came in and did an amazing interview as well Jerry Seinfeld Billy Crystal I interviewed him in LA I went to his office in Beverly Hills um, and and as a matter of fact when we when we took pictures he pointed to his teeth because he knew about my history because many years ago his manager Jack Rollins wanted to do a sitcom about a dentist in show business based on my life Really? And he wanted Billy Crystal to play me. Oh, wow. And that's how I first met him. And he remembered that all these years. So when I did that interview, he goes, wait a minute, I know you. He goes, you're the funny dentist, is what he said. Wow. And when we took the pictures, he was pointing to his teeth. It's, it's yeah, so let's, let's talk about the book. So it's Make Him Laugh. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's 35 years of the comic strip, the greatest comedy club of all time. And it's uh, wrote it with Richie Tinkin, the owner. He's the founder of the club who discovered Eddie Murphy, yeah, managed him for many I, years. I remember that, yeah. And Chris, you know. And there's great stories in there, like Ray Romano. Did you know that for the first few months of his career, he performed under the name Jackie Roberts? No. You would never know that, right? Well, Jackie Roberts, you know, in those days, there was a lottery, in order yeah. to get on stage. And the improv had opened, you know, the improv opened in 63. Bud Friedman opened that. There was no other comedy club until the end of 72 when Rick Newman opened Catch a Rising Star. Right. And then the comic strip opened on June 1st of 1976. And on June 17th, 76, Jerry Seinfeld walked into audition. And his first sign-up sheet is in my book, a copy of it. Um, they... In, in those days, they raided the comedians. They said Jerry Seinfeld was good and that they should invite him back on Monday. <laughs> on June 21st, he came in on June 17th, on June 21st. He, was, he became an MC, the fastest of anybody that ever went in that club. Okay. And that club really changed the face of comedy, you know. Uh, but when Ray Romano started to perform, he went to the improv first. And there was a lottery. And they'd pick your name out of a hat. And maybe only 12 guys would get to go up. So to, to double his chances, he brought a friend with him. And he said, well, if they... But he couldn't find a guy, so he brought a girl with him. So he's like, well, if they pick your name, you got to pick an, an androgynous name. I can't go up under a girl's name. So she picks Jackie Roberts. And of course, they pick her name. So Ray Romano goes up on stage that night as Jackie Roberts. right? Oh. Silva Friedman is in the club. She owned... That was Bud's wife. He passes the audition. Now he's got to go up as Jackie Roberts, right? He can't tell her he lied. He's afraid to tell her that he lied because then she'll say, like, you can't work here, right? Wow. So for the next two or three months, he goes up every night as Jackie Roberts. Oh, my God. Then he yeah. says, one night he bombed. He said he must, have have, he must have been having beginner's luck because all of a sudden one night he bombed and it shocked him so much that he didn't go back on stage again. He couldn't go back and he went back to selling futons, which is what he had been doing before. His best friend owned the futon business. And he was selling futons. He said he actually sold the futon to Larry David. Wow. Right? And, of course, Larry David didn't like it and make him take, <laughs> <laughs> him take it back. Right? So he didn't, he didn't perform for two years. And then he comes back. He goes, he couldn't take it anymore. He had this need to perform. He came back to the comic strip. And now he came back as Ray Romano. And that's what made his career. Wow. And that's where he met Rory Rosegarten. Rory yeah. w was handling Robert Klein. That was his first client yeah. who's still handling him to this day. 
and and uh, and he started uh, working with uh, Ray Romano, and they've been together ever since. Yeah, that. Wow. And Rory just produced Garden of Dreams. Well, yes, the Garden of Laughs Garden benefit. Of laughs, yeah. At the Garden of Dreams yeah. is the charity, yeah. and everybody came out for that too. It was huge. I was I covered the the red carpet for it, and it was an amazing, amazing show. Uh, yeah, but it all came from from here. And you know who else is here? Uh, Jim Gaffigan, Colin Quinn, Susie Essman, Gilbert Gottfried, Louis Black, Judah Friedlander, Larry Miller, George Wallace. Oh yeah, got to spend time with all of them, man. It was amazing. That's so, incredible. Unknowingly, I became like a, a a historian of the comic strip and of comedy from hearing all those stories. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what's what's pretty special and amazing now is that I'm fortunate enough to be a regular at the stand, and the stand is doing some amazing things. Yeah, it's a great club. It's becoming a uh, in two years they've done some really amazing things. Uh, the 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 way that people drop in and huge names drop in now and always the food is amazing and the the places and I just did my album there and both shows were sold out and it was amazing. So yeah by the way thank everybody for coming out to that and Jeffrey thank you for the um you know for the plug on it but that was great. Um well, had the Italia coming. brothers let's give them a shout out. Chris and Paul oh, Italia and oh, Patrick yeah. Milligan yeah, the guys from yeah, the stand David Kimowitz they rock these guys and and yeah. and that's why comics feel comfortable hanging out there. Yes. Yes. You know, and like a after the uh, Patrice O'Neill benefit, that's where everybody went to hang out. Yeah. Everybody yeah. went to the stand and for the after party. Yeah, and when a lot of, you know, bigger comics are in town, they want to hang at the stand because it's just a nice, relaxing hang. And, um, yeah, it's, it's really, really nice and to, to do my album there because, you know, I tried to do my album in Indianapolis and it didn't work out with the sound. And then I tried to do it in Hartford. I would have lent you my mic. Yeah, I know. I needed this, <laughs> I needed this fucking thing. Would have picked it up from. You could have left it here. Would have been in Indianapolis. In Indianapolis. Right? Um, yeah. So you know, and then finally they were like, "Why don't you do it at your home?" And I was like, "Well, you know, I'm a stage stalker, and I walk, and I don't know if it's big enough, and the venue's kind of small." And and then finally we hired a big gun to come in, and it you know it ended up working out. And thank everybody for. Um, I had fans come out and, and podcast fans and uh, oh shout out to uh, speaking of that shout out to Phil Oakley he's a podcast fan he came out and brought a bottle uh, bought me a bottle of Johnny Black uh, so I appreciate that but Isn't there was a lot cool? of people oh it's the best like when fans come out fans, fans come out and they bring out cigars and bottles and you know it's it's always there's great. no feeling like but that it's no, such a great thing no but you made a good point about it and it's like and I think that that's why guys like you come to the stand in certain places there's certain rooms and vibes where feeling comfortable and being cool with people is important you know I was talking to Steve Mazzilli shout out to Steve Mazzilli great yeah guy. those guys at Gotham like, oh my god I mean those guys Chris Mazzilli and Steve they're, they're the, the best. best they're just you know, the best and and I was on the phone with Steve on the way down tonight it was funny I had a mm -hmm. spot at Gotham tonight before yeah. I came here and I was talking to Steve and we were talking about you know this business is hard enough as it is you know life is hard mm -hmm. life Absolutely. is life is hard that's right you know and 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 this business is hard so why work with assholes mm -hmm. you know life is short and hard and getting on stage and writing and doing all the other things you got to do your social media needs to be up to date you mm -hmm. need to have you know you got to see if your representation is doing the right thing you got to make sure you're here you got to make sure you're there all that why during all that would you intrude your life with an asshole? Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. with somebody. It's just it doesn't make sense. And that's why I like being around, you know, seeing people that are good people, people like you that I see. Every time I see you, it's a hug. How you doing? Always, What's always, going on? Yeah. Great to see you. Oh, mm-hmm. hang out the club. Everybody feels good, in the, you know, in the club. And certain clubs feel like that. And, and I'm the same way you are. I mean, I don't mind busting balls, but I, I'll do it for the right reasons. If it's, you know, not to just do it. Look, I wrote the roast for the roast, so I know how to do that shit. Yeah. I'm just more comfortable. I'm not, I, I don't feel awkward embracing somebody or telling yeah. somebody, hey, I'm happy to see you. I want to put positive energy out. I just did a pilot for Sirius called The Happiness Show. And and, uh-huh. I, and I brought Colin Quinn, Susie Essman, and Lisa Lampanelli, all of whom sometimes have gruff personas on stage, but I show the other side of them, which is what I like to show. I like to show the nice side of people. Yeah. You know? Put positive energy sure. out to the universe, man. Sure. There's too much fucking negativity in the world. Yeah, right. And that's what comedy... Comedy is a healing force. It is. And we have the opportunity to bring people together from all different backgrounds and make people laugh. That's why Russell Peters does uh, so well. And Lisa Lampanelli, you know, the lovable queen of mean, makes fun of everybody, including herself, but has a whole room full of people of different backgrounds laughing at themselves and at each other. Yeah. And that's where healing comes from. And that's why political correctness is so fucked up. Because yeah. it's dividing people. Audiences yeah. are like going, oh, these days, no matter what. Yeah. I'm like, what is this show being live streamed to the Vatican? Well, that, that's one fuck? thing, yeah. right, though. That's one thing I wanted to ask you because, you know, <clears throat> you've, you're in it today. You've been in it forever. You, you know about it and you see what's going on. I've ranted about it very much on this show. And I think that, um, I think that what's, quite frankly, scary what's happening to comedians and comedy where... You can say something on stage, and some fucking blogger will tweet it, and it'll can, ruin your career. Yeah, it, it will. It will it'll ruin your career. It will take money away from you and your family. And what you were doing essentially is your job. Now, granted, sometimes jokes don't come off right, but that's our that's our failure. But to to and we'll go through and say, hey, you know what? Maybe I could have maybe I could have done that. Or you know what? If that person was upset, listen. If somebody gets upset at something I say, I don't really care. But if I really was out of line. I may be able, but I should dictate that. Well, I'll tell you something. I have an interesting, I have a point of view about that. I don't know if it's interesting or not. No, go ahead. I would love to hear it. You can tell if a person is coming from a bad place or not. People are very sensitive to energy. It's the reason why we feel comfortable in clubs like The Stand and other places that we mention. And I'm in every club and I know where I want to be. Places that make me feel comfortable. It's about energy. People pick up on energy. They don't talk about it a lot. Yes. They don't know how to phrase it. When you feel, when you see somebody and they make you feel good, there's a good energy between people. Yeah, absolutely, you pick up on it. Yeah. the audience picks up on your energy. Whatever you bring to the stage, when you're telling jokes, people know whether you're a hater or whether you're not a hater. Yeah, there are people who say ugly things on stage. There's a thing in mind. I won't mention the person's name, but it was recently out there. There are people who say cruel things on purpose. It isn't necessary. And it's good for people to be insulted about that or say something about it. There are comedians who do ugly, just ugly stuff. I mean, going to the bathroom may be funny when you're 10. But I don't know why so many comedians are fixated on talking about going to the bathroom. What's so funny about that? If that's all you could think of to talk about, you should be in a different business. And, you know, I mean, if I owned a comedy club, I would tell people... Talk about something else. I don't, you know, and I don't believe in censorship, but when we're talking about things that insult people, you can tell there are some people who cross the line, and most of the time their jokes are not funny. Right. If it's funny, people get it. They'll laugh. There are people, 
We tell racist jokes all the time. You tell homophobic jokes all the time. You come from a place of love. People laugh. And you say, where are the gays in the audience? And people raise their hand. Yeah. It's welcoming. Yeah. It's healing. you got to be able to laugh at yourself. But there are some people who take it too far. Yeah. And we know who those people are. Right. And, and, and you know, so, so I, I, I don't so know. It's, so, it's so confusing. When you, no, but I know what you're saying. So you, but what you're saying is there are people that do things purposely for shock value, purposely to hurt, purposely And it comes dark, from their inner self because they're not happy with themselves. Right. There are some people who are miserable and they go out on stage. They're genuinely they people unhappy. That, they're genuinely unhappy and people they're, and they're right. bringing that out on stage. Right. There are some, you know, most comics are just nice people and they, you know, look, a lot of comics are not, they're socially awkward too. Sure. A lot of comics are the guys who didn't fit in in high school. Yeah. And yeah. That luckily they developed a great sense of humor yeah, yeah. To help him get past all that, yeah. right? You know what I'm yeah. saying? So you don't see comics in nightclubs hanging out, like in clubs, like dancing and all. That's not their thing. I've been, I'm on the nightlife scene. Anytime I've ever run into comics, they're there. They can't wait to leave. Yeah. It's very awkward for them. They're yes. not great socially mixing in. They're great mixing with other comics. Yeah. But they feel that, but that's where the guys do that thing where they feel they have to put each other down because that's what they're used to. They think that's how you fit in with other guys. It's right. like a jock mentality, you know, that jock mentality where jocks feel like they have to put down anybody who doesn't fit into their yeah. realm of thinking, yeah. Yeah. you know? It's not necessary. Right. So there are guys who are doing that on stage. They're bringing that part of them to the stage, that ugliness that they have inside, that resentment. Yeah. You know, Patrice would talk about that, about, you know, about sometimes a guy will see you. You walk in with your wife. Or some girl that you hardly know, maybe. And they'll say, oh, you're always with a pretty girl. Yeah. A guy will do that. That's a fucking horrible thing to say to a guy. You don't know who that girl is. Maybe that's my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you're, and you think you're complimenting me? That's no compliment. I don't need you to tell me that yeah. the girl I'm with looks good. Yeah, because deep down inside, that's actually a shitty thing to say. It's a shitty thing, thing to, to say. say. Yeah, yeah. No, but yeah. they think they're giving you... Like, like you're going to say, oh, thank you. Like, that's, that's like a passive-aggressive dig. Exactly, yeah. a fucking passive-aggressive dig. And yeah. people do that. The same way that... Women sometimes will hate other women just because they look good, because they're not secure. There are guys who will make remarks like that because they're not secure. Right. That, I, I would never make a kind if, if any guy walked in with a girl, I don't care what she, if she was so gorgeous, I would say, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. I would never comment on someone's appearance. No, no. And say, oh, you're so beautiful, or your girl is so beautiful, like he owns her. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, you know, like she's a possession of his. Yeah. Like, nice going. Your girl is so beautiful. Like, <laughs> yeah. what the fuck am I to say that to somebody? You know? <laughs> yeah, but yeah. there are guys who say that. Yeah, yeah. You know? So so it's like comedy is the same thing, man. When somebody's on stage, if they have ugliness inside of them, they yeah. bring that out. Yeah. You know? And if you're a good person, you're not going to make jokes that, that are going to offend people. Right. And, yeah. And, and, I mean, I don't – I think you're always – I think there's there's I do think that there's certain groups of people though that are looking for a problem. Like oh, I think, yo, the, uh, for sure. Yeah. There are people who cannot wait to be offended these days. Yes, and that fucking freaks me out well, too. But, but they my can't problem, wait to be offended. They can't wait to be offended. It's it, they want to almost want to be offended. They want to be offended. They, they insist. Yes, and and my thing is this: I just feel comedians cannot apologize. Uh, you know the when you when you're unless they really know they did something wrong, right? And I think that they but, would. But these days they ask for too much, right? I I think that if somebody really true, I think if a good person and a good comedian really crossed the line, I think they would go, hey, you know what? Maybe they had a point. Yeah, Maybe yeah. they had a point. Right. Maybe that was a little too much. Mm -hmm. But but I think some of these people want us to 
to apologize for for things that we shouldn't apologize for. And you know, it's like you said, you know, there's not malicious in the heart. It's a joke, and it is a comedy club. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be jokes about you know maybe mentally disabled, but that would not mean you know. There's going to be a well, joke I, about race. There's going to be a joke exactly. about violence. That doesn't mean that the comedian. But I think today. Like, would Sam Kinison or George Carlin ever apologize? Never. Never. Patrice O'Neill never apologized. It was a different world then. Right. People weren't, you know, people no, weren't. Look, look at Lenny Bruce. He was fucking tortured for his material. He would be considered mild today. And they, and they tortured yeah, and him. They had cops standing next to the stage, didn't they? Yeah, they, they arrested, arrested him while he was on stage. For, 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 for the most, I mean, if you listen to his material, there was nothing. What people say these days, it was a different world. These days, like you said, people cannot wait to be offended. There are groups of people who are just looking for an opportunity to say something. And it's it's terrible because I see in the clubs that just, you know, comics know how to handle it. A lot of comics know how to handle it. They'll come back with that thing. Like I said, what is this being live streamed to the Vatican? Shut yeah, the yeah. fuck up. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You know, yeah, it's a com- yeah. like some comic said, you know, if anything here offends you tonight, maybe you could think to yourself, I'm in a comedy club. Yeah. Maybe maybe it was a joke. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because that's true. People have to check themselves. You come to a comedy club, you expect to hear everything. At the Access TV thing, they announce that. You're gonna hear all kinds of things. It's not a politically correct show. If you yeah. want that, you should leave before the show starts. That's great. I love that disclaimer. Yeah, they they say That's it great. right up front. You're going to hear everything. You're going to hear something gonna say, that somebody's yeah. going to hear something that they don't like. Exactly. And if you're not up for that, and, then, then don't go, stay. Then that, leave that, now. That's smart. That's beautiful. That's um, how that's how it should be done. Yeah. Well, we are an hour. We almost did an hour and twenty minutes. I could oh, talk man. to you. I could talk to you forever, but I want to get your plugs out. I want to get your plugs out. I'm sure you're going to be back on the show because it's, be great. it's fascinating and um, it's great to talk to you as always. I mean, we did an hour like that. I, mean, I can't believe just, it. It flew by so fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, do you have any plugs? Is there anything? Yeah, sure. Well, it would be great for people to go to my website. Yep. It's comedymatterstv.com. Comedymatterstv.com is the website. Okay. My name is Jeffrey Gurian. So it's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y. G-U-R-I-A-N as in Nancy, Jeffrey Gurian. You can look that up. You'll see more than you want to see. And my YouTube channel would be great for you to come to. I have over 400 interviews with everybody from Jimmy Fallon, Chelsea Handler, Jon Stewart, Seth Meyers, Larry David even. You know, just like Amy Schumer, Amy Poehler, people not named Amy. I have like, (laughs) you know, it's crazy. And it's youtube.com slash Gurian News Network. All one word, Gurian News Network on YouTube. You'll see crazy videos. Like, as I said, over 400. Jimmy Fallon gave me 25 minutes, man. Crazy. That's great. He performed for me. He did impressions, all that. On Twitter, it's at Jeffrey Gurian. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Facebook slash Jeffrey Gurian. It's it's all I mean, out listen, there. Yeah, just, I mean, if you Come type in Jeffrey out. Gurian, it's, it's... You'll, you'll see more see than it. you want to see. And, and any venue, any comedy thing you're ever at, if it's big, if there's important people there, or, you know, it, sometimes not even. Sometimes you'll pop in anywhere, but this guy is there, um, truly a genuine... Just a gen- you are you're a genuine nice soul good person. Um, well, it takes and, one to and, know and, one, Paul. And, Thank you. And, and, no, it's it's my pleasure to have you on the show. And some of the stories are so fascinating in what you've done. But I want people to see uh, all the stuff that you've done. You could check it out. And uh, if you do come and check me out at the stand and all those places, I'm sure you'll see uh, Jeffrey uh, sometimes there because he's he's basically a fixture everywhere here in New York. <laughs> if it has to do with funny, he's there. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, I'm going on the bus tour on Saturday. We start in Savannah, Georgia. Um, also, uh, I just... And just, I'll be there with you on the bus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You probably, yeah. <laughs> you turn around, I'll be in the back. I'll and be then, driving the bus. Yeah, and then you'll say, listen, I gotta, I'll got. i be in the Beacon in a half hour. I don't know how <laughs> it's going to happen from Georgia. Um, but I'm actually... Me, Joe Bartnick, and Giannis Pappas are going to be doing uh, the all-in tour at Gotham Comedy Club, um, May uh, 8th and 9th. So you could check that out, uh, May 8th and 9th. Uh, go get uh, tickets to that. That is uh, on my website, paulverzi.com. You could go to uh, my Twitter account, at paulverzi. That's V-I-R-Z-I. I, I want to thank my guest, uh, Jeffrey Gurian. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, it was such, such a, a great thing uh, to be great, on with you, man. Great time. And, and uh, all the things that you've done in comedy is fascinating. And I'm sure we're going to talk more. And I'm sure you'll be back. Um, you know what we should do? This is what we should definitely do. Towards the end of the year or sometime next year, get you back on the show. And what we'll do is we'll have people come in with questions for you. Oh, that'll be awesome. Yeah. That'll be great. To, you know, to, to talk about everything that you've done and, and all the things. But it was great to introduce you to my listeners. Uh, check this guy out. This guy is, uh, is fascinating. So uh, that's it for for now until episode uh, 206 next week um i'll talk to you guys then and it'll actually be from the bus tour uh that i'm doing with jason lawhead and bill burr uh, thank you everybody